for sharing God's word with us this morning. And can you all hear me all right? I'm getting used to practicing. It is really high up here, actually. <laughs> I, I used to be a, I used to a bit of climbing and hill walking. I should have brought my abseiling kit with me. <laughs> um, so, as I said earlier, it's a joy and a privilege to be here with you this morning in this beautiful chapel. I was first in Hexham in 2012 for a short period and I fell in love with the area. So I was thrilled to take the opportunity to return to the Tyndale Valley last year to live and to work. I used to read a, a poet called John Donne, a medieval poet, and he wrote a series of poems called The Divine Poems. And he wrote a poem about the Trinity. He said that the Trinity was bones to philosophy, but milk to faith. And I love that. Bones, the Trinity, is bones to philosophy, but milk to faith. And it is a true joy to be with you here in Trinity Chapel this morning to share God's word, to break open scripture together and be nourished together through praise, worship and song. So let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with many passages in the Bible. They can seem contradictory and puzzling. And the joy of that is that we spend most of our Christian lives wrestling with them. And without knowing it, our relationship with and understanding all God and his infinite nature becomes a little bit clearer. So we take today's reading in Acts, for example. Those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, I was a lawyer for 25 years or so, and the whole game of it was to protect rights, very often property rights, buying houses for people, raising court actions to recover property for people. And one minister I know once said to me, Richard, we need Christians in the law. And the first time I ever preached, there was a retired bishop in the congregation, just my luck, because I didn't know until afterwards. On the way out of the church after the service, he shook my hand and he said, Richard, it must be hard to be a Christian and a Pharisee at the same time. <laughs> and for some reason, his comment aimed in a well-meaning and humorous manner cut right into me. I felt really hurt by his statement. And I pondered this for a long, long time. And eventually I worked out that I had become a lawyer to try to help people in an altruistic sense. But by the time I was running my own court practice and juggling charity work and a million and other things that, that, that are thrown at us in life, I found it harder and harder to understand why my minister friend said it was good for me to be a Christian in the legal practice. Looking around me, there were plenty of Christian lawyers and they seemed to be pretty well balanced and contented. And if I'm being open with you, I was a bit envious of those lawyers. Reading my Bible became more and more puzzling 
more and more complicated. Especially when I came across those passages such as we've heard in Acts. Those who owned land or houses sold them and gave it away to anyone in need. Why couldn't I acquire property from clients, and therefore myself, in the way my Christian colleagues could? I mean, being a lawyer meant my role was to achieve the opposite of what Acts is telling us. The retired bishop's comment that I was a Pharisee sort of confirmed for me the impossibility for me of being a lawyer in the face of scripture teachings such as these. I haven't practiced law for a few years now, but the passage is still as puzzling. Is God telling us that we have to give everything we acquire? And if so, how and where would we live? How would we support our spouses, partners or children? Aren't we supposed to save for our retirement? And this passage in Acts becomes more terrifying when we consider it in the light of the following chapter in chapter 5 in which Ananias drops down at the feet of the disciples dead after his sole property but keeps some back for himself. I'm trying to make sense of that and how to live a godly life in accordance with scripture is baffling. And I'm sure I'm not alone in experiencing tensions between work life and trying to live the life of a good Christian. I found myself stumbling around in a spiritual darkness, trying to wrestle with the fact that I might well indeed be a Pharisee. And to let you understand just how, far, how hard I found it grappling with Scripture, Jesus in Matthew 23 describes seven woes of being a Pharisee. I won't list them all, but I'll list a few of them. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. And that's quite hard, that's quite hard to hear when you're seemingly acting in a contradictory way in your day-to-day -day life. And I, I'm sure that many others have wrestled with similar difficulties. Am I good enough for God? I cannot give up everything. I did a terrible thing to someone. God will never be able to forgive me. I certainly can't forgive myself. And this last one is perhaps the hardest one for us. I cannot forgive myself. And the result of all this negativity is the weight of guilt. And the irony of that is that we often create that guilt from our own self-judgment that we live, fail to live up to scripture. The guilt does not come from God. How do we make sense of this? Is the Bible too exacting a moral compass? One that will lead us off the cliff, separating us in our self-imposed guilt away from God? Well, I would say no, it will not lead us off a cliff. The Bible is our moral compass, but we are all given different gifts and talents by God. We all stumble in the darkness, but when we come to understand what it is God wants us to do, we can step out of the darkness into the pure light of God's presence. We heard in the first letter of John that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, 
We lie and do not live out the truth. So what is darkness? Darkness is made up of the things that separate us from God. When we stumble in the darkness of our lives, in different places and at different times from other people, God knows us and he loves us. He knew us before we were born and knows the number of hairs on our heads. And God made us in the beginning because he wanted to love us. He sees us stumbling in the darkness and yearns for us to step out of it towards him, towards his light, that we might have joy and live life to the full. And Isaiah tells us that God loves us as a mother comforts her child, so he will comfort you. And there was an exercise I was taught last year. Richard, look in a mirror. Not a good idea. Look in a mirror and say, I, Richard, am a beloved child of God. God made me because he wants to love me. That's a really challenging thing to do in the quiet of your own home, but I would recommend that you try that. And when we realise that God made us because he wanted to love us, we are making those first steps out of darkness and into the light. We are all beloved children of God. And the things that bind us in the darkness are mostly born out of fear. Not from whether we have sold all our possessions to the community, as we heard in Acts, or lived up to various rules and expectations that we can't make sense of. We are not all called to do the same things. Fear keeps us prisoner in the darkness. My Christian colleagues are fabulous lawyers and good Christians, but we are not all called to do the same things. So don't go home after having heard the Acts reading and start compromising yourself by giving away everything that you've got. Pray to God to help guide you to understand what it is that makes you afraid. What makes you afraid? What gifts, what talents do you have that you can use for the glory of God? Not other people's expectations, but for the glory of God. In discerning our gifts, it's worth looking at the gospel reading we heard, that the disciples were afraid. They locked the door on the evening of the first day of the week after the tomb was found to be empty. They were terrified. Jesus appears and blesses them with the peace. He shows them his wounds. And what happens to the disciples? They are immediately overjoyed. They are filled with joy. And in that same moment, Jesus commissions them, breathing the Holy Spirit on them. They are given the power to forgive or not to forgive. They are sent out into the world to evangelize. And why did Jesus do this? And why are we given the story of the doubting Thomas? Well, St. John explains to us that these things were done, that we will believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that we might have life to the full here on earth, and here is the most amazing bit for me, and for all eternity. And while we are here on earth, we must work out, each one of us, what it is that makes us afraid. When we acknowledge that God loves us, we can step out of that fear 
And when will our fear turn to joy? When will it turn to joy as it did with the disciples? Believing in Jesus, trusting in him, seeing that everything we are, everything we do, the riches we acquire materially and spiritually all come from God. The families, friendships, property we acquire all come from and belong to God. If we say we will do something for someone, we try to do it. We can use our relationships and our property to further the growth of God's kingdom here on earth using the gifts and the talents that we individually have, not what other people expect that we should have. And what is the result of that? The darkness diminishes. We walk in the presence of God's light and the darkness is diminished. It is not about giving away everything that we own. Have joy in your life as the disciples learned on the evening of that first day of the week. Enjoy your friendships, your families, your hobbies, your possessions. Pray through the hard times. But rejoice in the fact to share it. And when we do that, in every small way and every big way, we have stepped out of the darkness. And we are set free to love God and love one another in this life and the next. And we will know the darkness no more. Amen.